Poppin' the Christian Bubble. It is now time for the Cultured Christian Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Today's episode is sponsored by independent financial planner Adam Peak. Join us as we provide commentary at the intersection of culture, tech, and faith. It's looking like Ellen was not as friendly as we all thought she was. Netflix is looking into a shuffle feature on their app. High Score is a new documentary on video games. Fall Guys is all the rage for video gamers. Fortnite versus Apple, an epic battle. Burst in space, there's some mysterious radio noise that's reoccurring in outer space. Microsoft Flight Simulator's finally out. And finally, why does God want us to live, quote, quiet lives? All this and more coming up on today's episode of the Cultured Christian Podcast. Good day to all of you tuning in to this, another edition of the podcast. This episode is number 21 here. 21 episodes is our count, and we're rounding out the end of August, beginning September this week. And if you're anything like me, that is always a little bit of a bittersweet time in the year. It's kind of like, I love summer, but I love fall more. So it's kind of like this teeter-totter where the cold wind starts blowing, temperatures start to cool off. You get that little hint of smell in the air of fall, and your heart kind of starts beating towards all the things you love about fall. But there's also a part of you or a part of me that summer just went by it always goes by so fast. It seems like it's just week, week, week. You have all these plans and hopes of what you're going to do during summer, and they never seem to, we never seem to fit everything in. Or, you know, maybe you want to go on the lake one more time on your friend's boat because I'm not lucky enough to own my own boat. So, you know, the only thing better than owning your own boat is having a friend with one, right? Because you don't pay for the gas, you don't clean it up, all that stuff, you don't have to own it, and all the stuff that comes with owning a boat. But yeah, so, you know, there's a little bit of uh, sadness at this time of the year. I, I still am amazed at how fast time has gone by, even in the midst of a pandemic. You know, that first month seemed like a snail's pace, but it is really sped up. And I had a friend recently tell me I always post like memes and things at the start of a new month saying, I can't believe it's this month. And he's like, you've always said that. You always say that. And it's true. I, I don't know where that comes from, but I think I'm hyper aware of time passing. Some of it might be the, the age that I'm at. It might be some of the regrets I've had in life. There's just kind of this like, I want life to slow down, to not be like just barreling towards the future because, you know, I want to stop and smell the roses and enjoy life. So I don't know if any of you can relate to that, but that's just kind of where I'm at. Life's been kind of busy here again with vacation and interviewing for a job and just a lot of things going on in my family and obviously the world. And so, yeah, I enjoy just slowing down enough to do this podcast, to continue to plan these and we'll get them out just as soon as I can. So let's dive into today's content, beginning with our culture section. Man, when it rains, it pours for Ellen DeGeneres. Have you guys been following the backlash in the media and in culture against Ellen? 
it kind of started with the pandemic and the news coming out from her crew that she started filming at home and basically fired all of her crew or decided not to use them. And she, again, makes millions and millions of dollars. And these loyal crew members have been with her for years. And then she started filming at home, needed not as many of them. And so she hired a totally different crew is how I understood it. And so that kind of started the social media world from commenting and all sorts of things picking up. And so there were all sorts of things that were brought out, allegations of racism and intimidation, um, that she created a toxic working environment, that she was mean, had all sorts of these little quirks and things that she demanded of people who are on the show. And so, you know, I think, as always, when I when it comes to celebrities, you know, it's like I don't expect them to be perfect. I think that that's part of the illusion is that we like this idea of perfect um, celebrities that just have it all together. And Ellen, I think, is one of those characters. I, I liken it to when Tiger Woods had his, you know, issues with women brought to the surface and divorce and that situation with his wife and the golf club and the car and just craziness right and I think for me Alan's kind of in the same thing where until this year until this came out I just had a great image of Ellen I had a great image of Tiger Woods before that came out I mean we kind of think of these people as like down-to-earth good-natured fun the kind of person you'd like to have a beer with you know the kind of person that you'd like to have over and you just think oh she would be so fun and just to chill with and just to talk about life with. She comes across as very personable, very laid back and fun in the way that she approaches her show. And so, you know, as usual, you got to take these things with a grain of salt. But the more that this comes out, the more, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire. There's more people who have worked with her kind of saying, yeah, those things were true. That's true. They're kind of confirming each other's stories. That's when you start to go, oh, so this is really the real situation. And for me, the the tide shifted when I saw this BuzzFeed article about Tony, one of her uh, original actual DJs. If you watch the show like me, I tend to watch, I, I watched it more in the past when it came out in 2003 than I have lately. I think when it was kind of the new hip thing and she was always doing her, you know, crazy dances up and down the aisleways, you know, it was kind of fun and it was a new positive thing in the afternoon. And Tony was the guy who was the, her DJ. And so, and it's important to the story that, you know, if you don't know Tony, that he's an African-American guy. Uh, his last name is Okungboa. That's probably the wrong way to spell it, but you get the idea or the wrong way to say it, pronounce it. But uh, anyway, so he came out recently because people were texting him, calling him, you know, social media, messaging him, basically like, what is your say? You worked with her for a number of years. And so he gets on there and, you know, does it, I think, in a very tasteful way. He doesn't speak to any specific situations. But he says that, yeah, he can confirm that they were um, it wasn't a it was a toxic environment. In fact, here's one of his his statements. It says I was on air talent from 2003 to 2006 and from 2007 to 2013. Well, I'm grateful for the opportunity it afforded me. I did experience and feel the toxicity of the environment. 
So, and then he goes on to share his solidarity with the uh, people that are speaking out about this environment. So to me, that's a very credible source and he doesn't really have anything to gain from um, mentioning that or, or going out on a limb and sharing that. So to me, it sounds like, yeah, a lot of this stuff was true and hopefully she's going to. That's kind of what I read through a number of articles. I, I'll post a few in the show notes. It sounds like she's going to try to adapt and grow and um, not give up. She's not running away from this. She's going to try to become better and maybe a little bit more transparent. And so, yeah, we'll uh, we'll wait and see what really happens. Uh, her show debuts in just a week on September 9th, like a lot of shows that are going to be coming back here for the fall. So it'll be interesting to see how she addresses it once the show's back on. But, uh, yeah, what do you guys think about all this Ellen stuff? What do you think about celebrities being very different than what they're kind of presenting in their shows or in their field? Do you really care? Does it, does it matter if a musician or an athlete or you know somebody that gets a lot of fame for their craft, for whatever they're doing, does it matter to you that they can be a jerk? To people that behind the scenes when the camera's off that they have an opinion or act in a certain way does that affect you does that mean you're not going to watch anymore i think it's an interesting question for us to consider oh netflix how i love thee and hate thee netflix is one of those things that again during the pandemic I feel like I exhausted all of the shows that I would be interested in, and it's you know now just filled with a bunch of things I could care less about. At least that's <laughs> kind of how I feel. But I just read about a new feature that they're testing out with some users throughout the country. They're kind of testing, doing a little test beta here with different um, Netflix members. But the idea is something called Shuffle Play. And similarly to like Spotify or Apple Music, kind of it's more popular in a music-based program, but it's you give them some data, they know shows that you've watched and that you've rated highly, and basically then it shuffles, it chooses for you what you're going to watch. And it's that's a pretty interesting concept when it comes to viewing stuff like videos, movies, TV shows, series. Because generally we go in and we choose, but you know, the, the challenge for a lot of people, and I'm probably there right now too, is a lot of times, you know, it's Friday night, I'm sitting on the couch, I've got my beverage, I've got my gummy bears or whatever snack I'm treating myself to, and I'm ready to watch a movie because I can't go to the stinking movie theater right now. And so I tend to open up Netflix. A lot of times I will open up Netflix, then I'll open up Amazon Prime, any other streaming service, and I will go through tons and tons and tons and tons of options. And I'll kind of have in my mind like, well, if I don't find anything better, I'll go back to that. So I don't know if this is your experience, but I was going to ask you, how long do you guys spend scrolling through options? In fact, why don't you send your answer to us? Why don't you just pop over a text and I will put it in the show notes but send us a little a little text here of how long do you think that you scroll on an average night or average time when you're viewing to find before you find something i think for me it's been 30 minutes at times like really i'm always trying to find something better so i would guess mine's about an average of 20 to 30 minutes 
So why don't you send us a text, 810-207-5717, and just let us know. Tell me, answer that question. How many minutes do you think you scroll through Netflix, Amazon Prime to find until you find something that you want to watch? I just am interested to know how much of a, of a thing this is for everybody, or is this just something that's for, you know, that I stress about or I deal with? You know, and I think, again, it's like the longer that you've used Netflix or Amazon, you're probably more likely to scroll longer. Like if you're a fresh new user, then you've got a wide range of content, shows that you've never seen, all sorts of things to binge. But if you're like me and you've had Netflix for years, then you're kind of, again, waiting for new stuff to come out. And Netflix does have some new content coming in. But yeah, so kind of interesting shuffle play. I wonder if that's something that will become the norm for a lot of people watching Netflix or will it just be one of those features that is, you know, a flash in a pan, kind of comes out and then no one really uses it. Speaking of new content on Netflix, this past week I binge watch a six-part, it's either six or eight-part series it's a new video game documentary called High Score. Have you guys seen it? Did that come up in your recommended viewing or kind of at the top? I think it was something that was promoted to everyone because I had a few friends mention that they saw it, um, whether or not they're into video games. I don't even know if I've watched anything on Netflix related to video games, so I don't know how they would know it unless they're listening to the podcast. But uh, anyway, so High Score just came out. It's a really well done uh, series on video games, kind of the history. It follows the 80s and 90s, kind of a snapshot of those two decades and how video games took off. And on the positive side, without, again, giving away a ton, I, I learned a ton watching it, which I felt like I had a pretty good handle on how video games started. But it was really interesting to learn from some of the people, the men and women who were at these companies and how a lot of these companies were much like today being, uh, they were, what do they call it? Um, going to a specific person at company A and buying them, trying to get them to come to company B to their company. And there's a term that that's called, I forget what it's called, where you basically steal the talent from one company and get them over to your company. And that happened a ton in the video game world to the point where literally companies became on the map. You would have never heard of this company or this video game if it wasn't for behind the scenes, Nintendo or Atari or, you know, Epic Games now in the future, you know, coming in and buying some of that talent to come over and design and build those games at a different uh, company. It was also interesting for me to learn how some of these games came up with concepts, how a lot of these concepts came through real life scenarios, you know, different parks and different buildings and different uh, concepts used in video games, how they were found or discovered, if you will, in real life. That was very, very interesting. Now, there were a couple things I didn't like about the series, and I'm really not going to go into those today because my, my goal in this podcast is, again, not to critique culture as much as we're giving commentary and, you know, sharing the things we like. But it's kind of got an interesting aspect. I wonder if you would pick up on it as well that I thought was unique and different. When it comes to video games, it kind of focused and highlighted on specific stories and specific situations. 
that, um, again, it's part of the history. It's part of the story of video games. But it was also a little bit uh, forced, I felt, at times. Like they were really trying to get some message across or something across that I don't know is it really fit with the narrative of a historical kind of documentary. I could be off there again, but that was just kind of my take. So yeah, if you're into video games, again, I understand it's one of those niches. It's like a subset of a subset, those who listen to this podcast. So if you're into the video games, you're into the video game world, check out High Score on Netflix. If you're not into video games, I don't think you'll find it very interesting and you can just kind of Again, hit shuffle play and find something else. And for tech this week, let's dive right in and we will continue talking about video games here. I apologize for those of you who aren't into video games, but we got a couple stories here with the video game world. And let's start with Fall Guys. Fall Guys was a free game for those of you on PlayStation 4. They have free games each month. For those of you who subscribe to PlayStation Plus, which is the online, you have to have that to play most online multiplayer games. And so Fall Guys was one of these games that came out of nowhere. Everybody got into it. I think, again, it's helps. it helps these games to like break a threshold when all the streamers, they're probably paid to play the game and say they like it, and then it just starts the momentum wheel. Everybody checks it out. And when it's free... You know, the cost of entry is very low, so everybody tries it out. We're all looking for a new game. And, uh, yeah, Fall Guys, it's pretty fun. It's uh, a lot harder than I thought. Like, when you first see the game, if you've seen any videos, it looks very kiddish. It looks very cartoonish, very young. And so that kind of lures you in, like, oh, this won't take much mental energy. It's not that hard. I can play it and just, you know... It's really short games, so you can come and sit down and play for 10 minutes. You don't have to play this long period of time. It's just basically you go through five different rounds. You start with 60 players, and then much like the Battle Royale in Fortnite, it is an elimination game. So you play a mini game, and then it's kind of like, again, whoever survives that, whoever makes it through, makes the cut, and they go on to the second round and the third round all the way up to the fifth round which if you're the last man or woman standing, you're getting the crown and the crown is the desired, you know, goal. You're trying to win that. And so it's, yeah, it's again, much harder than I thought. I think I have only, I've played it for about two weeks and only twice have I got to level five, round five, and then almost got the crown, but somebody jumped in front of me or something happened where at the last second I did not get it. So I have not won a single game in Fall Guys. In fact, of my friends who are playing it, I only know of one person who got a crown. So it's pretty hard. It's not just little kids playing this game. And I don't even know what the characters are. They kind of are like little aliens. They make little little noises, little cute aliens that, you know, you can dress up and put different outfits on and things and they make funny little noises and such. And the controls are really simplistic. You basically have the option to run, you have the option to dive or jump. That's it. Really three things are happening. But um, yeah, so if you haven't played Fall Guys, you are running out of time to get it for free. In fact, I think today the recording of this is the last day, unfortunately. But uh, then I think it goes back to $20. But like a friend told me, since they're probably making tons of money now that it's gotten this viral hit status, 
they might keep it free. So check it out if you're on PlayStation. I don't know if it's on Xbox, but you can definitely search your store, the Xbox store, and your, you know, whatever handheld device. I assume at some point, like Fortnite, it'll become available on mobile. And that is a perfect segue, probably the most perfect segue we could have in an episode because our next topic is none other than Fortnite. Fortnite, the game that I love to hate on because it's been around so long. It's so simplistic. I keep trying to get rid of it. I've literally deleted it twice and reinstalled it because there's always somebody, right, who wants to play it or a new season comes around and you've got to check it out. It really is a fun game, but I'm just kind of like ready to move on, but it just keeps coming back. It's kind of like a bad relationship, like an abusive relationship. You just keep coming back to Fortnite. And uh, yeah, so what's interesting, what's newsy now is that Fortnite, uh, owned by Epic Games, is in this colossal battle, an epic battle, pun intended, uh, versus none other than Apple. And the reason, I'll give you the short reader's digest if you haven't been following the story. And there's a lot of misinformation, it sounds like, that's come out about this. But at its core, Epic Games, like any app in the iOS App Store, Apple's App Store, they sign a contract. To get their app in the store, they agree to certain terms. One of the terms, the one that they probably focus on the most, is the money. So if you want to be in Apple's app store, you pay a 30% fee tax, some people call it, to Apple to get your app in the store, right? That's the that's the um, entrance fee, if you will. That's the, the way that you get into the store is you have to pay that. So Epic knew this. They've had it in the store for, gosh, a year now, two years. And they have had hundreds of thousands of downloads. It's one of those games, again, that you can play on your iPhone, your um, your iPad. I don't think you can play it on the Apple TV. I could be wrong there. But it's everywhere, right? And they're making tons and tons and tons of downloads and money off of this. And so the key thing about this game, though, is it's free to play. Just like I said with Fall Guys a moment ago, it is a freemium game. You start the game and you can play all aspects of it completely free. The only thing that is things you can buy in the game is character stuff. So you can make your character look different. You can put a different glider so you have a, a different looking glider. You can have a different thing that beats up the, you know, gets the materials and things. Like you can do all these different colors and and you use their cash they have something called v bucks uh in the game like in-game cash most of these mobile games have this sort of stuff and so it makes sense that they're making billions every year like i think they made four to six billion four to six billion on things that don't even improve the gameplay you're not like getting a better gun than anybody you're not able to jump faster or higher the skills are not impacted, your player skills are not impacted at all by buying this stuff. But they're raking in money like crazy. And the reason is, is because most of their their audience is like, I would say, 10 to 13-year-olds who ask their parents for credit cards to buy them the latest skin because you don't want to be the kid who has last year's or the original skin or whatever. It's kind of like a 
you know, the keep up with the Joneses. If you're familiar with that metaphor, it's kind of that way with teens. It's like, I've got to have a latest cool looking, uh, skin to be cool with my friends. And so the issue is whenever they buy V bucks through the iPad, iPhone, Apple's getting 30% of that purchase. So that's less profit for Fortnite for Epic games. And again, being an Enneagram one, I'm pretty simple with this. I'm like, okay, you signed up to be in the app store. You know, the terms of the deal, you either abide by it or you try to negotiate a better deal. And it sounds like they weren't able to negotiate a better deal. And so then they decided, oh, we're going to, you know, screw Apple. We're going to create our own uh, way to sidestep them. So they created a way within their apps to get you to purchase V-Bucks through the app and Apple didn't get any of that money. So they've gone back and forth. They've been fighting. And finally, Apple said enough is enough. They kicked them out. They canceled their developer account. And as of right now, as you're listening to this podcast, you cannot download Fortnite on an Apple device. It's gone. Now, if it was already on your iPad, like on mine, you don't lose it. They don't delete it from your existing device. But here's the big catch. Now, for all intents and purposes, Fortnite on iOS is a completely different game than everywhere else. So if you're on an Xbox, PS4, um, Nintendo Switch, all those are getting updates. And they just came out with a new season, which has Marvel characters and all sorts of new cool skins and things to buy. But if you go and open it up on your iPad, you can still play it. But guess what? You can only play with people on Apple devices and there's no more season pass. There's no more uh, new skins that you can buy. It's basically a totally separate deal. They're kind of on two different paths now. And that was one of the things I enjoyed, I thought was cool about Fortnite. It's one of the first games to do it is it's cross-platform. You can play on computer, on your tablet, on your big console, and you can play with everybody. So it's not like you have to have the same video game system, which really is a dream, especially for youth pastors, because your kids all have different game systems. And some of them have just phones or eye touches. And so it's really cool that you can, again, log in and chat and play with everybody. So anyways, that's kind of the Reader's Digest. There's a lot more nuance there. There's a lot of uh, antitrust stuff happening right now. There's a, a move in Congress. There's a lot of people who don't think that it's fair that Apple has the walled garden, in quotes, and forces people to pay that 30%. But... I don't know, man. I guess at the end of the day, free market economy, you know, Apple obviously became this trillion dollar company because they were smart with their products, making great products, having great margins. They sell things at a premium price. I, we all buy those things. No one forces us to do that. And so I just kind of look at them like, if you don't want to pay it, then get an Android phone or get a different gaming system. Like you don't have to play on these devices. And again, as an Enneagram one, who's very focused on rule following and like the rules exist for everybody. I just, it's beyond me why they Epic thought they weren't going to get kicked out. Once they did that, they knew, they knew what they were doing and they wanted to create, uh, I think a lot of press and a lot of conversation around this. But um, yeah, so that's the latest thing with 
the old Fortnite versus Apple. It'll be interesting to see where that goes. Uh, I heard one report that said it might not be till next year, 2021, that this is actually worked out in the courts because there's a lot of, again, nuance and it's going to take a while. It doesn't sound like either side's going to negotiate or give in anytime soon. But hey, when money's involved, you know, if Epic sees they're losing a lot of cash, they might come to the table and agree to the terms again that they agreed years ago to join the App Store. So anyways, there's the latest Fortnite news. Tell me what you think and comment if you're a Fortnite fan. As those of you who listen to the podcast for any length of time, you know that one of my favorite, if not my favorite genre of movies is science fiction. And I love to watch in society when certain things in science fiction movies start to happen in real life. Like I really feel like there's a lot of things about the future and you can look at this throughout the last 50 years in culture, how science fiction got a lot of things right about the future. And I don't know if it was art imitating life or life imitating art, but there's times where science fiction, again, got things right and it kind of revealed to us something that would in the future happen. And so one of those things that you kind of see in a lot of uh, science fiction films, especially ones that are focused on outer space and aliens, is this idea of like an alien trying to communicate with Earth. And what would that look like? How would we discover it? What sort of things would start to happen? And so I read an article on CNET, which is about this mysterious radio burst in outer space that they heard and then they're hearing it again. So it's a repeating pattern. It's something that is not just, you know, happened once, but it's coming back again and again. And the radio stuff is, again, very science fiction-y that there is always listening. They're always listening. Scientists are always listening. They have microphones literally pointed at outer space thinking that, hey, maybe someday aliens are going to try to talk to us. And what would that sound like again? What would What would be the indicator that, aliens are speaking to us and so it happened this year it happened in june of this year that astronomers according to this article found a fast radio burst repeating in a regular pattern from somewhere deep in space it was only the second time a radio burst with a discernible repeating pattern was discovered the first one was discovered back in february of this year so this is all relatively new new stuff. So again, I don't know where I'm at with the aliens thing. I kind of vacillate if I'm honest. Do aliens really exist? How does that fit into my worldview, into my faith? There's a lot of existential, existential, there we go, uh, existential questions when it comes to aliens. It affects a lot of things if you agree that aliens uh, exist. And so, yeah, so that's uh, an interesting thing. Could this be aliens? Could it be something trying to communicate with us? Uh, at the end of the article, they kind of poo-poo that a little bit, and they say this. This is a quote from the CNET article. It says, I think in all likelihood we'll work out a natural explanation for these events, but I like to keep an open mind and follow wherever the evidence leads me. This is Adam Deller, an astrophysicist from Swinburne, University of Technology, and then moving on to another quote from a guy at the University of Manchester, says, based on the short durations and the high luminosities of the bursts themselves, 
A good guess would be a neutron star with a very high magnetic field that has been orbiting a companion object. So there's people, really, really, really smart people who are saying it's probably just a naturally occurring thing that sounds a certain way. And again, I think it's really interesting. I think it's neat to watch this kind of stuff as, again, it's like science fiction is happening right in front of us. And what would that be like if we actually discovered intelligent life? I think we're probably going to find, if we haven't really already, and we just haven't been told, that there is life out there on other planets. We've basically found water on Mars. There's just, now we just need to confirm organisms and things but the question is and that's what makes the science fiction movies is their intelligent life you know things beings with brains and communication and technology and culture in and of themselves that would be of course a crazy crazy breakthrough if it ever ever happened and finally in our tech section i want to share about one more game and that is microsoft flight simulator I can't tell you how many hours as a young teen that I put into Microsoft Flight Simulator back in the day on my Windows desktop computer with a, you know, 28.8 modem and, you know, this huge massive screen sitting on my desk that looked like a tube TV. But man, was that a fun game. And I definitely was more at that age into simulator games than competitive games. I love the idea of just going into Microsoft Flight Simulator and flying all around and seeing the ocean and discovering cities. And it was just a really fun thing for a kid with a computer. I think at one time I even had the joystick, you know, so I was able to use something other than a keyboard and mouse to control the uh, airplane taking off and landing and flying around things. And so that's a very happy uh, memory from my childhood. And it's been a long time since Microsoft Flight Simulator has come out. And they have been working literally for years on this next generation version of Microsoft Flight Simulator, which is insane. If you've not seen the graphics from it, it's just on an insanely another level when it comes to the world is basically in this game. And you can even adjust to the real time weather. So... It takes weather from NOAA and basically creates in the game the same weather conditions. So I was watching a video just last week of a bunch of people in Microsoft Flight Simulator with that active weather pattern you know, enabled, and they're flying into that hurricane that just came up into the Gulf of Mexico. I think it was Lara, Lara. Um, they're flying in and out of it, like in the game, like how stinking cool is that? And obviously you can change all sorts of weather events, wind action, you know, uh, all sorts of daytime, nighttime, rain, no rain. Like you can control all these different things. And the graphics are like, again, next level. Like you're looking down on New York City and Tokyo and the mountains, the Rocky Mountains and the pyramids and just all that stuff is in there. There's only one big problem for me and for some of you out there, and that is this. I don't have a Windows device anymore. 
Like I sold my windows computer and never looked back like four or five years ago. I said, I'm done with windows. I'm tired of always updating. Every time you logged into a windows computer, you have to wait three minutes for something, you know, to update some software, some new thing. And so I moved on and now I'm completely Apple. All my tech stuff is Apple. And guess what you can't get on a Mac laptop is Microsoft Flight Simulator. So hopefully at some point they'll be on some streaming service, but I'm not about to go blow. I've literally heard people on podcasts blowing like $3,000 on a new gaming laptop just so they can play Microsoft Flight Simulator. And uh, yeah, I enjoyed the series, but I'm not into it that much that I'm going to drop 3,000 bones on a new gaming device so I can play this game. There is conversation that at some point it will come out on Microsoft. Uh, Microsoft owns Xbox, so it's logical to think that at some point it will be on Xbox, whether the current Xbox or the Xbox to come, which the name is escaping me right now, but the one that's supposed to be out this fall alongside the PS5. So yeah, what do you guys think about flight simulators? Have you ever played those? That might be a very geeky thing, but hey, we love technology. And those of you who like simulators, I can't wait until VR again, man, when we're inside of a VR headset Microsoft flight simulator where you're putting your goggles on and you're sitting in the cockpit. Like that's the only way that I think Microsoft flight simulator can get better than what I've seen in this uh, latest version. Our podcast sponsor is Adam Peak, my friend and independent financial planner. His primary focus is educating individuals and families with the information needed to help with the decision-making process of their financial goals. If you've got some questions that you think Adam could help with, reach out by going to adampeak.com. That's peak with an A. Securities offered through Sigma Financial Corporation, member FINRA and SIPC, Adam Peak, 300 Parkland Plaza, Ann Arbor, Michigan, 48116, area code 810-522-8169, or ACPeak at SigmaREP.com. Welcome to our faith section for this week. Have you ever felt that as a person of faith that you don't measure up with other Christians? It's an easy trap to fall into, especially in a culture that celebrates, quote, Christian celebrities. As with all social media, many of us follow Christian leaders and pastors. We see their highlight reels, their happy spouses and kids, their new books and travel photos. But even if you don't follow anyone on social media, this can happen even in our churches. We begin to see people on stage or holding a microphone as inherently closer to God than we are. This kind of thinking isn't good for us or for the leaders that we're putting on a pedestal. I want to look today at a passage from 1 Thessalonians, a letter that Paul wrote to Christians living in Thessalonica. It is a city in Macedonia, modern-day Greece. The city was located on a highway in a seaport, so it had lots of people coming through it. It was a very busy town. A lot of commerce was going on. Paul was the person who started the church, the Christian church, the first one 
in this city. And he wrote this letter to them shortly after he started that church. He wrote this letter in a pastoral manner, encouraging their young faith. Now, we want to read from 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4, and I'm going to read kind of the intro to kind of give you the setup, and then we'll read the text that I want us to focus on. So chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, it says, As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more, for you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. And I'm jumping ahead to verse 10. This is the text we're going to focus on today. It says in verse 10 of chapter 4, And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more, and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders, so that you will not be dependent on anybody. When I read this text recently, what stood out to me was that line, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Have you heard many pastors and Christian leaders or Christian celebrities, again in quotes, say such a thing? I sure haven't. I think it might have something to do with the fact that they aren't living quiet lives. Often their ambition is to lead the exact opposite kind of life, to live loud lives, to be seen and to be known by many. What about us? Is your life loud or would you characterize it as a quiet life? Well, I like the metaphor of sound. I don't want you to miss what I believe Paul was getting at. You see, the Greek word for quiet can mean rest also. I believe in this busy city, he was challenging Christians to not get caught up in the busy, stress-filled lives. See, the enemy of our souls has two very clear strategies. Some of his, his best work, his best strategy as the enemy of our souls is, number one, to get us busy, too busy to focus on God and others. We're just simply distracted by so many things going on that we don't have time for God. And then secondly, another strategy of the enemy is to get us bored or idle, doing nothing to grow or contribute to society. Paul speaks to both here, saying in addition to a quiet life, but also, he also says to work with your hands and to mind your own business. Now, you might be saying, so what? Why does this matter? I'm, you know, I'm content living my busy life. I'm in the rat race. I understand it. I'm doing all these things. Or maybe you're bored. You're a student who loves just kind of hanging out. Why, why does this matter? Why, why should I care what this text said? And I'm glad that you asked because Paul answers us with the result of this kind of lifestyle. Let's look back at verse 12. In verse 12, it says, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. That's the goal. That's why he wrote for us and for them to live quiet lives. I believe this speaks as much to us in 2020 as it did back in 51 AD. 
What would it look like for you to live a quieter life at home, at work, in your community, or how about on social media? God knows we would all benefit from less time on those platforms, which quite literally are designed to make us envy the lives of loud people. I end this conversation today with one of my favorite verses taken from the message paraphrase of the Bible. It's from Psalm 46, verse 10. It says, Step out of traffic. Take a long, loving look at me, your high God, above politics, above everything. Friends, let's be that kind of people in this world, especially in a world like 2020 with so much unrest, so much uncertainty, so much pain and suffering happening all around us. Let's follow Paul's encouragement. Well, folks, that is a wrap for this episode 21. If you like what you heard today, be sure and hit that subscribe button so you don't miss an episode. As always, we hope that you enjoyed this and all of our episodes on the Cultured Christian Podcast. Please join the conversation on our Reddit. Also, like and interact with us on our Facebook and Instagram Lastly, if you have feedback or topic ideas, email us at culturedchristians at gmail.com. And as always, we look forward to seeing you in the next one.